You're listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Hidden Mercy, recorded on May 19th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest. It's good to be with you today, uh, whether you're here in Catanning or at one of our other locations. And as you can see, I have my friend Peter Vandedecker with me today and with you. And um, I just want to take a little bit of time to go ahead and introduce yourself. And, and Peter, you're one of our missionaries, our gospel partners, uh, reaching the unreached in Papua New Guinea, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. Give us a little overview of your ministry and how God's been working in and through your life. We're so thankful for the part that uh, Harvest has had in our ministry over the many years. It goes back quite a ways and uh, just uh, really thankful back when it was just uh, the Catanning campus and um, uh, just really neat to see what God's doing in your all's lives here too. Um, Back... uh, should I say maybe 26 years ago, my wife and I made the mistake of going on a short-term trip, uh, missions (laughs) trip over to Papua New Guinea. Um, I'll uh, mention a little bit more about that, but uh, that's the the interface program in Papua New Guinea, uh, tremendous program. Lord led us uh, then through that, uh, seeing, catching God's heart for for this world, and um, we came back, went through the training with Ethnos 360. Um, we had, uh, at that time, uh, when we, we eventually went to the field in uh, 97, four boys, uh, ages two to six, so it's doable with young kids. And uh, our daughter, who's with us uh, now, um, was born our first furlough. We've been there 22 years now, uh, church planning among the Kaolong people, um, and uh, first presented the gospel 2001, um, and then uh, after that, sometime after, saw a number of folks coming to the Lord. Um, developed an alphabet for them, teaching them how to read and write, uh, have developed a literacy program, put that in their hands. They're now training their own literacy teachers, working on discipleship uh, with the people. Jumping ahead uh, quite a few years, uh, about three years ago, uh, the Lord led us to um, back out of the village that we've been in and uh, to go to our, our mission center on, uh, on the island that we're on in New Britain and um, to be able to give space to our people for them to step up to the plate uh, and take some responsibility. And one of the really neat things that God is doing now is there's a neighboring tribe, the Asing Sing people, who have sent one of their elders and his family um, down to live in our village, and they are continuing on in much of that uh, discipleship role. He's kind of like, uh, like my Titus, as Paul said to Titus, I've left you in, in Crete to complete the work that I've not finished. And uh, that way, uh, my wife and I are able to focus now full-time uh, on translation and continue working on translating God's Word into their language. That's awesome. Man, now th- that's, a, that's a huge overview from about, what, way higher than 30,000 feet, right? Yeah, because yeah. I know that you could, you could go on and on and on. That's so right. how's the translation work coming now? And, um, and, and I'm going to caveat that question with one more question that really is a softball that I know you're very excited about. Tell us why your heart beats to reach the unreached that do not have God's word. Yeah. And, and then tell them as to why their heart ought to beat for that same reason. Right, right. The short, short answer is that because God's heart does. We just took communion yeah. together this evening. And man, yeah. Jesus didn't just die for us. He didn't just, just die for English speakers. He died for the whole world. 
60% of this world's population is still living in unreached people groups. 4.5 billion people in this world that don't have the gospel in their language, that have no way to hear that Jesus gave his body to be broken for us and his blood poured out to give us forgiveness of sins. 60% of this world, that's what Jesus, that's what God the Father sent his only son to be a missionary, knowing that he's come into a world that was gonna hate him, not even recognize him for who he is, crucify him. We worry about bugs and centipedes and long flights and snakes and whatever else, and Jesus knew that he was coming to a world where he was gonna be crucified. Seems pretty shameful. We worry about air conditioning not working, right? You're talking about bugs. We don't even have a, a concept for that. But there are people, when we say unreached and unengaged, you already touched on it, but touch on that just a tad more so that I think everyone can have a, a better understanding yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Good news is not good news if you haven't heard, right? Yeah. You got to hear the good news for it to be heard, you know? And unreached people groups is where the, the official definition would be 2% or less of that population that are evangelical Christians that actually know and understand what Jesus has done for us. That's what they have decided needs to be at least 2% for them to be able to reach their people group. Um, and unengaged means, unengaged unreached people groups is where those people groups don't even have any mission organization, any missionaries, any churches in the States or around the world that are targeting them and saying, yes, we want to get the gospel to them. So 60% of the world are in unreached people groups. That's an, every, every hour that goes by, 6,316 people around this world are dying. 60% of them without a single chance of hearing the gospel in their language because there's no good churches. There's no Christian radio stations, uh, Christian uh, TV programs, or can't hear it on the internet because it's not in their language. They have no way to hear it. That would be the equivalent of all of Catanning dying every hour without a single chance of hearing the gospel. That's not just the, the church campus here. That's the whole of Catanning population dying every hour with no chance of hearing the gospel. And Jesus came and gave his life for the whole world. That's where his heart is. That's, I, I, think, I was thinking of even giving a little pop quiz. You've, you've uh, been going through 1 Samuel. Anybody remember what David said before he lopped off Goliath's head? This day, all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. It wasn't just for the sake of getting freedom from the Philistines. It was because God deserves to be worshipped the whole world over by every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Amen. And we have, even in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7, we have history before it's happened. It's been written down for us, right? That's what prophecy is where God has told us that there is going to be someone from every tongue, tribe, kindred, nation standing around his throne, praising him. And God is offering to you and to me the opportunity, as Paul said, to be co-laborers together with God, to be co-workers with God. That is what God is doing. God is moving towards that. He is going to accomplish that. And he is saying to you and me, you want to be a part? You want to invest in what I'm all about? We can't get caught up in what our dreams are of our big house, our big uh, car, our big boat, our, our dream family, our dream education, our dream job. We can't ca get caught up in those things. We need to be caught up in what's God's dream? 
What's Jesus' dream? What did he come and give his life for? And that's what he came for, not just for English-speaking America, but for every language group, every... Our our mission is called Ethnos 360. Ethnos, the Greek word that often in the New Testament is translated nations. I had a a lady come up to me recently in another church and uh, picked up a sticker that had our our mission name on it and said, what's this? And I started to explain. She says, no, 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 I know, I'm Greek. I said, okay, well, you tell me what it means. I said, I always tell everybody that it's, it's, you know, what English words do we get from that? It's like ethnic, ethnicity. And she says, that's exactly what it means. And then the 360 degrees of the globe, that's what we're about. That's what Jesus is about, wanting to see every ethnic group in the world to be having that opportunity to know him, to come into right relationship with him. That's what God's heart is for this world. All right, I'm pumped. <laughs> Listen, but it's not just about being pumped. I want you to know that if you're part of Harvest Community Church, you're, you're partnering in some sense because we're partnering That's with right. you. And, um, you know, John Piper said one time that there are three types of people in the church, right? He's, when it comes to missions, there are those who go, like Peter, right? There are those who send, like myself and you, when, whether it's giving of our, our, our money or really God's money or prayers and sending them. And then there are those who are disobedient. And we, we want God to change the heart of those who are not engaged in missions because God's involved in missions. And you, I can't say it better. I can't improve upon what you just said. And, and I would say, be asking yourself the question, not just how can I hang on to my big dreams, what my big dreams are, but how can I live on less, less time, less of investing of my talents for myself, less of investing my treasure for myself. How can I live on less so I can invest more for the kingdom? And maybe it is you stepping in the offering plate and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Amen. Maybe it is you saying, man, I am going to downsize so that I can give more. I am going to do whatever it takes so I can be investing more of my time for the kingdom, things that's going to last forever. It's not trying to hang on to our dreams and somehow holding on to God's dream, thinking we can. It's one or the other. We can't do both. And we're all in or we're not in. Amen. That's a great place to stop. Listen, Peter, thank you so much. And um, church, he's going to be with us this weekend. Get to know him. um, Ask questions. Pray for him. Ask how you can pray for him, for his family, for the people that they are seeking to have know Christ. And um, encourage them. (laughs) Encourage them. Peter, thank you so much. for. And just one thing real quick. (laughs) Yes, sir. Is pick up brochures on the table back there about that interface program, the short-term program, Papua New Guinea. There's also a shorter short-term program called Wayumi, just over here in Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. Good stuff. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Listen, that dude can preach. I remember there was a time um, you preached here, and I remember you, you had like a printout of all the people that had not ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ. These were the unreached. And I remember it just kept going and kept going and kept going. God used that particular sermon to really break my heart and open my eyes to what God um, is doing in the world. And so um, I hope you were as encouraged as I was in that few moments that we had with him. But now we're going to continue in 1 Samuel chapter 29. And um, listen, so 
David, right? We left him a few weeks ago, if you remember, and, and he had exiled himself to go live among the Philistines, which is a, is a crazy thing. And, and he was on the cusp of actually having to go to battle with his own people. But then we hit pause on that, right? And then last week, if you remember, like Saul had this moment where he was like gone to see a witch and she conjured up Samuel's uh, spirit and, and asking questions. And Samuel tells Saul that you are going to join me in a few short hours. And he didn't mean in paradise, he meant in the grave. And if you remember correctly, Saul was not doing well after that, so we left him chowing on some grub with a witch. This is a crazy story, and and today is no different. Today is no different because what we see today is the action switches back to David, and we're going to see the conclusion of the story that happened just a couple weeks ago. So open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 29. And I'm gonna, we're going to work our way through this text pretty quickly, and then we're going to see what the Lord has for us in and through this. So chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Apex, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? <laughs> right? This is a good question, by the way. They should be asking that. This should seem like a really bad idea to invite Israelites to the game when they're going to go and attack Israelites, right? And, but, but here's the thing. Achish, this dude, he is like, it seems like he's a little out to lunch, right? He's clueless as to what's happening because look at his response. He says this, He says to the commanders of the Philistines, he says, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord, his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? I mean, listen... It, it quickly becomes obvious that they do not want David tagging along for the battle. Rightly so, right? I mean, this is David who he became famous on the scene because he killed tens and thousands of the people. He's now saying, yeah, I'm going to come help fight with you. And his claim to fame is chopping the head off of Goliath. No wonder they don't want him to join them in battle. And yet, and yet, Achish, he is like, he's befuddled by that. Listen to what he says. He calls David and he says to him, he says, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me this day. Nevertheless, the lords, the commanders, they do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. He's befuddled. And Now, listen, talk about thank God for unanswered prayers for David, right? 
I mean, you have to think he's really excited. Yet, listen to his response. It's confusing at best, right? So picking it back up in verse 8, David says to Achish, he says, but what have I done? What have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? Hmm. It seems as though David is ready to go and fight his own people. That's what it seems like here, right? But here's the thing. God would not let him because God's fighting for David. And God's fighting for Israel. And God's fighting for his glory. Make no mistake about that. I mean, my guess, my best guess at this, and I really don't know, is that David should be receiving an Academy Award for Best Actor. That's my guess. As a matter of fact, that's my hope, right? Because he's acting a little strange. We've all done this, by the way, right? Like, I was thinking about when, what would this scenario look like in my own life? Well, maybe I thought, maybe my wife and I would get a... Uh, an invitation to go to some kid's birthday party, some kid that we don't really know. We're just like friends with the mom, and she has 1,800 friends on Facebook. We just happen to be one of those friends, and she sends out a blast invitation to come to little Johnny's party, right? And, and my wife says, Scott, do we have anything going on this Sunday after church? And I'm like, no, we have nothing going on after church. All right, we're going to go to a party, and I really don't want to go unless, like, you come with me, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem, hon. My schedule's clean. Let's, let's go ahead. And she hits, we're coming on this birthday party, right? But then, like a few hours later, I get a text from my buddy, and he's like, dude, you're never going to believe this. I have tickets to the big game. I got tickets to the big game. You know, like where the Steelers are playing the Patriots and it's Sunday night and like we're going to leave early, but I know you got to do the whole church thing, so we'll leave right after church. Are you in? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, oh. So like, okay, I'm in a situation here, right? So I'm talking to my wife and I can quickly see that she really wants me to go. And so I pony up, right? And, and this is a fairy tale because I'd probably go to the game. But I say, all right, honey. <laughs> All right, honey. Yes, we're going to go to little Johnny's birthday party. And I'm destroyed, right? But I'm like, you know, I'm smiling and I'm doing my thing. And, and, and what's crazy is I'm, I'm, te- I'm so sad. I text my buddy back. But then on Friday, we get a message. And the message says, this party's been canceled. Little Johnny has diarrhea. And, and, and it's bad, right? And so they cancel this party. And my wife, she comes and tells me, and she's like, I hate to tell you this, but like little Johnny's party, it's been canceled. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's terrible. And in the meantime, I'm like texting my friend behind my back, tell me more. Oh, he's sick. Oh, I'll pray for him. And I'm like, dude, is the ticket still available? Right? Like that's what I'm hoping is happening with David here. Because it's the only thing that would make sense to me. Now, it continues, Look at verse 9. Achish answered David, and he said, I know, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. All right, that's chapter 29 in a nutshell, 
Right? That's really what happened. So let me ask you a question. What do we do with a chapter where the only mention of the Lord is off the lips of a Philistine Lord? Right? I mean, he seems to be nowhere to be found. Where is God in this this text? Well, I think we have to look a little harder. And and that's what we're going to do. Dale Ralph Davis, who wrote the commentary that uh, we've been reading through as we read through 1 Samuel, said this. He says, 1 Samuel is not the story of a lucky break, but of a divine deliverance, a merciful deliverance. And so I think that's what we're going to be looking for. You know, many times when we read through a text like this in the Bible, even through our Bible reading plans, we might just fly past this text, right? Because it doesn't seem like there's really anything going on. It's just a little bit of commentary about what's happening in David's life. And so we would maybe just go right past this because we love action, right? We love action. This is why we love the Gospels. This is why we love the book of Acts and all the different war stories that are happening all throughout the Bible. And we think that somehow that our spiritual lives ought to match that. And, and we can't stand to have a, a, a chapter where there's nothing going on. I think many times we think, man, if I was hanging out with Jesus like right now down in Pittsburgh, if he came back just to hang out with me, like we'd wake up, you know, not in his home because he don't have a home. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. But wherever we found to lay, that's where we'd wake up. And he would just go about everywhere healing folks. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. It would be awesome. And we'd find some demonic people and we would cast demons out left and right. And we would get probably a little bit hungry. So as we're getting hungry, you know what? Jesus finds a kid with a happy meal and he feeds the whole city, right? And now he's showing off because he's on the river and he is skiing and he has no boat or skis, but he's just walking. He's moonwalking on the water, right? And we're like, that's amazing. But as we're heading back to the place where he lays his head, one of our bodies gets hit by a car and he dies. And Jesus says, you're not allowed to die. Get up. So he gets up. Like that's what we think the action of the Bible is, right? And that's what we want. We want action. And it doesn't seem like there's any action happening in this text. And yet, we fail to miss that many times it seems as though God might be silent, but he's working mightily. There's never a time that God is not working mightily for his glory and for the good of his people My guess is that David feels as though, like, where are you, God? Right? And and I want you to know this. This is our first point. David may be behind enemy lines, but he is still in the hands of a merciful God. This is his God. And this God is for him. See, God's mercy is actually on full display as we see David weak and needy right? As we look back on David's life and and even our own lives, it can be very clear that God's invisible hand of mercy is always working for the ultimate good of his people. We see that, but many times we don't see it in the moments, and I think that's what we have here. Perhaps right now you find very few indicators of God working in your life, in your ministry, in your marriage, in your family, right? Um, in In your raising of your children, in your workplace, and you can, you can think maybe God's very distant. I want you to know God is with you, and he's working for your ultimate good. This is what we learn in Romans 8, 28 and 29. I want to read that with you. So follow along. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's providential mercy governs over everything. All things. Notice it says all things work together for good. But it doesn't say that this promise is for all people. So I want to clarify right now. This promise is only for those who are trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus. Those who love him and have answered the call. It's not for people who don't love him. This is for those who do. And let me be very clear with the word love here. Right? It's not some mamby-pamby word. Love in our language many times can be that. But in the Bible it's never abstract. It's never like that. Love is setting your heart towards God so that in all you do you seek to please him you love him you adore him you realize that he's the best and anything he wants me to do is best for me because he knows best and I long to do that now we're not saved because of our perfect obedience we're saved because of the perfect obedience of Christ but those who have tasted the perfect obedience of Christ seek to obey him that's what love looks like because in that is love right we know that So if you're not a believer, this promise is not for you. As a matter of fact, everything won't turn out great for you in the end. So I'm going to hang that off to the side because we're going to come back to that at the end of our time today. But I want to talk to those who are walking with the Lord, right? Because this promise is for you. It's for you. And many times people make the mistake of really not understanding this text, right? Like we take it like it's some spiritual Xanax. Like we throw it in our mouth and we hope it like zaps us into a better mood. But I want you to know, this thing ought not provide false assurance. It should provide absolute assurance that you have a God who's working for you. He's for you. <laughs> he, he loves you, right? But I can imagine, like right now, people are thinking in their, in their minds, they're asking this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, okay, I'm trusting in the Lord. But, but what about like when I, like, I have bad things happen to me that are not my fault? Would, would that count? What's it say? It says all things, right? Or maybe you had asked this question, well, what about the things that happen to me that, that they are my fault? Like, I'm just reaping what I sow. Would he even, like, work that to my ultimate good? Yeah, that, that fits under the category of all. The text says all. And I love last week how Pastor Mike said, hey, let's do a deep dive on this word. And he's like, he picks a simple word like all. And he's like, and I've done the study in the Greek, and guess what it means? All. All. Yeah, like we have a God who he's never surprised. He's never like, oh, I went out for lunch and I came back and they are blowing it. Holy Spirit, come check this out. Father. Like he's working. And that's true for David's life right now up until this point. See, there are points in David's life where I think it's easy to see God's hand at work in his life, right? He's had some rocky talk moments, spiritually speaking, right? Let's refresh our memories. Like, God delivered David from the paw of the lion and the bear as he is shepherding sheep, as he's caring for them. Like, this dude's like crazy, right? He goes up and whacks, he he grabs it by the beard. I didn't even know they had beards. He like smacks it up against the face and he takes his sheep back. God delivered him from that, right? And and then we know that, that David was anointed by Samuel to be king. David joins the uh, royal court because he's good on strings, right? And, and, how about the fact that he defeats Goliath, who is like the scariest man on the planet? And he's like, no, just give me some stones. Why? Because I know my God will deliver me. It's not that I'm awesome. It's my God is awesome. He's going to do this for his namesake. 
And he trusted and he did. And God's mercy delivered him. Which led to David become pointed to like be the armor bearer of Saul. Which like looking back on it's probably a little tricky thing. Saul is probably trying to get him whacked. Right? But it's still mercy. And then he, he gets a wife named Michael. And even that was tricky because we see that it was a snare to trap David. But she's a good woman and she loves David. Mercy is all over this man. We can see it. It's obvious. Right? But there's times where it seems hidden. Where is it? Like, let's remind ourselves, because there's some valleys in David's life. Like when he got banished from the royal court, where's the mercy there, right? Or how about the dealings with the deranged Saul, right? This dude's nuts. He starts throwing spears at David. He has to run from him, which leads him to run to a place called Nob. And this leads to Doeg going on a mass murder and slaughtering everyone. And it seems like, well, where's the mercy there? Which leads to then David. He goes cave dwelling, right? And he has numerous opportunities to take this dude's life, and he does not do it. But he finally gets to a point where it seems as though I'm exhausted and I'm done. And he goes and he exiles himself to the land of the Philistines. And it looks like, like where is God's mercy there? Oh, it's there. It's there. Just because you can't see God's invisible hand of mercy working in your life, be assured, Christian, it's there. And he is working all things to your good. See, David has had to endure many trials and tribulations along the way. But we must remember that that just because God works all things to the good of those who love him, this does not mean that all things are good. Right? That's our second point. See, pain and suffering are not to be welcomed or celebrated. They're not. They're not good. But their results can be good. Because of the mercy of God. Because we have a gracious and good God who's fighting for you, not against you. See, this does not mean that bad things will not happen to you. They're going to happen to you, Christian. They do happen to you all the time. Bad things happen to Christians all the time. Right? Like disease, bankruptcy, right? Divorce, and, and numerous horrible other things happen. And yet, what do we know? Our God, who is abundantly rich in mercy, is working for you. He's working all these things towards your ultimate good. And this includes the good, the bad, the ugly, and even sin, which is like mind-blowing to think about, right? See, many times God will work through sin to save his people. And we know that because we look back to the cross. That's obvious. He worked through many people's sin to put Jesus forward for propitiation to save a people. But let's go back further. Let's go back to Genesis where we see Joseph, right? Remember dude with like the nice coat? He's got like the coat of many colors and he's bragging to his brothers and he's telling them, I, guys, I had a dream. <laughs> you're going to love this, man. It's like all these stars are bowing down and, and you're that and like you're bowing down to me. And they didn't like that. They were not thrilled to hear his message. So they like beat him up and they chuck him in this, this ditch and leave him for dead and they, they sell him into slavery, right? And he goes into slavery and then he's falsely accused of rape and he's sentenced to serve many days, many years in prison. But when circumstances change, and they do change for Joseph, who worked his way to be like the second most powerful person in Egypt, God placed him there. God placed him there. Listen to the words he said in Genesis 50, 20 to his brothers. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it 
for good. <laughs> That's Romans 8.28 in Genesis. He gets this. He knows that God is working for him. And, and he sees it. He sees his hand over everything. Many times we can't see it when it's happening. But when you look back over your life, you can see God is always working for you and with you. And he knows best. And we need to trust him. Now, now I want to I give a caution here because I could think there's probably people who might hear that. And you might be thinking, huh, then I'm just going to sin all the day long. Well, the Bible has news for you too. First off, sin is always horrible. It's always bad. And, and, and here's the thing. It hurts God. It hurts you. It hurts everyone around you. And there's painful consequences to your sin. That doesn't mean God won't work through it. But you might not like how he does. Right? Your sin will find you out. And I want you to, to know, if you're thinking that, that's, pretty, that's like pretty elementary thinking in the Christian realm. Now, I thought that when I was a new Christian. And I got my thinking corrected. So if you're thinking that, I want you to know that would never be a wise thing to do. We never sin so that grace would abound. But I want you to know, when we do sin, God is working in and through. Maybe if you think that, maybe you've never tasted the mercy of God. Maybe you don't know him. And you think, well, hey, that's pretty rough, Pastor Scott. Okay, let's let Apostle John be the jerk. He says, no one who abides in him, meaning Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor knows him. Now, that's in 1 John 3, 6. Now, it does not mean that we somehow reach perfection. That will not happen until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. But listen, Christian, our propensity is to want to please God. And we please him by faith and obedience. That's how we please him. That's the heart of the Christian. Now, our execution might not always be on point, which is why we rest on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He said it's finished, and he did that. But he's working that righteousness in us as well. And yet, listen, God is so amazing that he still works in these moments of our lives, in our frailties, and in our sin for our ultimate good. He many times will use our sin to humble us. He'll use our failures to teach us a better way. He doesn't waste it. And we, we must remember that, that we're not in the grip of like a God of, of blind chance or fate, right? But we are in the grip of an almighty sovereign God who's automatically and always working for your good because that's his character. He's always doing good. Everything about him is good. And so we can trust him even when we're afraid. Christian, you do not need to be afraid when we go through this world. Fear has to do with punishment. And there is no more punishment left for the Christian because Jesus has taken your punishment upon the cross. There's only delight from God towards you because of the work that Christ has done. He's that good. And see, this means that if you feel as though you have blown it, and your life is a total wreck because of some horrific situation that you caused or that was caused against you. In all reality, God's not taken by surprise here. And he's working in it for your good. Now what's that mean, for your good? Well, I want you to know that the Bible in that text, when it says for your good, it means to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, God is determined to make us more like Christ and less like ourselves. That's the good that he's always working us towards. It's sanctification. See, if we're going to become more like Christ and less like ourselves, like the Holy Spirit's got tons of work to do in our lives, right? I know he does mine. 
Absolutely. And, and there's a tremendous amount of work to be done here. He must teach us more. He must improve us more. He must humble us. And, and he does all of this through the trials and tribulations of our lives. Right? Absolutely. See, God's transforming mercy can come in many, many different ways. Right? See, God's mercy showed up in power by delivering David from this moment. But here's the, the interesting thing. In Apostle Paul's life, it showed up by not delivering him. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. And I think you'll see what I mean. See, remind you where we're at here in 2 Corinthians Paul had this, this amazing ministry. He's the most amazing church planning preacher, missionary ever. Wherever he went, God showed up in power and he planted churches. And he had this moment where he had this experience where he was caught up into heaven and he was given revelation that he was not able to speak about. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) Do you see this? A thorn was given to me. This is like a big old gift of mercy from God. He sees that. Now, he attributes that work to Satan. But he knows that God had to allow it. He pleaded with God, may this thing be removed. And God said, no. And you think, well, that's not merciful. But it is merciful. And Paul understood that. Because here's the thing that Paul understood. That God had a different plan for him. God had a different plan for him. He pleaded that it might depart. God said, no. And he supplied grace. And he supplied mercy. And Paul persevered. Because Paul understood that the power of Christ was far greater value than freedom from pain. That's what he understood. That's mercy. Because he didn't come to that on his own understanding. See, God's withholding a, is a picture of God's mercy for Paul. So mercy is a, it's a strange thing so many times. I mean, what, what might have happened if God would have answered that prayer in yes? Well, we don't know. It'd be speculation to, to assume. But, but I'm going to speculate for a moment. Maybe Paul gets proud, right? Because that's the reason he said, I'm I'm not going to do this. And maybe he shipwrecks his faith. And maybe he he falls flat on his face and people don't get the gospel. But he knew God knew best and that he could trust him. See, it's such a strange thing when we think about David seemingly escaping pain-free, although wait till next week, from his really poor decision to not trust God in all things here. And it seems as though the Apostle Paul did nothing except get this revelation from God, and he seems to suffer. But both are a picture of divine mercy from a loving Father. (laughs) What a good God we have. So let's wrap up 1 Samuel 29. And I'm going to read a quote because there's no way I could touch this thing. This, This is from Dale Ralph Davis. He says this, What the text does teach is that even in our folly and fainting fits, we are still no match for our God. 
who has thousands of unguessable ways by which he rescues his people, even by the mouths of the Philistines. He can make the enemy serve us as friend. He not only prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, but also he has the knack of making the enemies prepare the table. (laughs) I love that last sentence. That's awesome. This is the God you worship, if indeed you do worship him. And so, remember that hook over here? I'm taking it back off. I want to talk to you. Have you tasted the sweet mercy of God? You personally. I'm not asking, do you know about mercy? I'm not asking if you've done a word study on mercy. I'm asking, have you experienced the mercy of Christ? You, personally. Because if not, I want you to tonight. I've been praying for you all week. We're glad you're here. There was a year of my life where I would sit under teaching and preaching and and I would hear these things and I didn't respond to the call of faith, but one day God awakened me to see and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that if you are not trusting in Christ, all things do not end well for you. As a matter of fact, they end horrifically for you because you have a wage you cannot pay. Your sin weighs heavy against you and God's wrath is over you. And I don't say that trifling. I pray for you. I don't know who you are. God does. And it's mercy that he has placed you here right now to hear this message. Why? Because he loves you. And he longs for you to come and to receive this good news and to receive forgiveness. And I want to introduce you to this merciful God through Psalm 103, 8 through 13. So listen. It says, the Lord is merciful. He is. And gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He's talking to the believer. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is to the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Oh, I hope you can hear and see the beauty that is in this text because our God, he is slow to anger. He is patient. He's been patiently enduring your sin. And my sin. He provides forgiveness. And then he remembers our sin no more. See, God is inclined more towards mercy than he is wrath. To give mercy pleases him. He longs to give it. And what's interesting about verse 8 is that David is actually quoting Exodus 34, verse 6, which goes on to then Exodus 34, verse 7, which he doesn't quote. But I am going to read it. It says, does not, God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And I think that's so interesting that David leaves that off. And so the question is, how is it that Moses in Exodus can be right by saying that God will not let sin go unpunished? And David can say here in the psalm that he will not punish us as we deserve. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Answer, no. It's not. Because only the cross of Jesus Christ reveals what it costs God to punish the sin that we deserve but without punishing us because he punished his son upon a cross in your place. This is the gospel, that Jesus came and took the wrath of God in your place that you deserve. 
And he offers you mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Will you go to him? He stands ready to forgive you. He stands ready to wipe your record clean. He wants to take and throw your sin and hurl it into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more, to cover you by his blood. Will you trust in the Lamb of God who come to take away the sins of the world? Yes, I pray you will. I pray you will. I pray you'll call out to him for mercy to forgive you of your sin because you are guilty. And I was guilty. And Christ took my guilt. And he longs to take yours. So trust him. Trust him for your salvation. Receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. You call out to your God. You ask for forgiveness. And he will work all things for your good because he loves his children. He's a loving father. He proves that over and over again. But he proves it most plainly upon the cross. That is the proof of God's love. See, God's mercy is free. It's free. You can't earn it. And if you try to, you lose it. God's mercy is abundant and it's overflowing and it's eternal. And I pray that you would receive it. Church, what a good God we have. Amen? And, and listen, children who have good fathers long to be like their dad. Right? This is why Jesus says in Luke 6.36, he says, be merciful, be merciful, as even as your father is merciful. Oh, church, may we be a people who, who don't repay evil for evil. But when people revile us, we love them. When they curse us, we love them. When they attack us, we love them. When they slander us, we love them. Why? Because we need nothing from them. Why? Because we've received the greatest mercy ever from the greatest God, the only God, the God who gives you mercy and works all things for your good, for his glory, because he is jealous for his people. So let's be a merciful people as we, by God's grace, seek to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Okay? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.